Crossroads. It's good to have you worshiping with us today. Happy Father's Day to all of you out there who know the joy and feel the responsibility of fatherhood. I hope you know that God loves you. I also hope that you know what you are doing to invest in the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of your children and your family is is really important. It's essential. And thanks for what you do. It was fun to talk to my dad, leave him a message this morning as I was on my way in here to preach. And I'm grateful for a man of God like him who's very active and a great example in my life. Before we jump into the sermon today, I just wanted to let you know that we're entering into two weeks of some pretty special time here at Crossroads this summer with our kids and our youth camp. Actually, yesterday, give a shout out to our kids ministry team. They began the journey of a children's camp. Uh, they have 250 elementary kids up at Camp Ileana in Washington, Indiana. And uh, there are about 50 volunteers. That's a, like a one to five ratio. So hopefully nobody gets lost over the next five or six days. And they have a great time learning how to live and love like Jesus. We're really excited that our new kids director, Alexa Rollman, is with us. In fact, her first day on the job was Camp Ileana. That's a pretty special place for her. Actually, she worked there and met her husband there and even had the wedding ceremony there. So, you know, for all you middle school, high school kids that are going to camp later this week, you know, maybe that will happen for you, right? But uh, now all the parents are getting a little stressed, right? I thought... Just send them to church camp. But anyway, uh, we're excited for Alexa and her husband, Timothy, to join our ministry team. And we're grateful for all the volunteers that are helping at camp with children's camp. And then on Wednesday night, that camp ends and we begin high school camp. There's about 200 high school students that are going to be at camp for about five, four or five days. And we have about 50 leaders who are going from here to make that happen. And then it follows on the heels next Sunday through next Thursday is middle school camp. Over 200 kids, about 30 volunteers. It's just going to be two jam-packed weeks of ministry. And so I am grateful for our ministry teams who are making that happen. And I just want to say a big thank you to them. And also, if you're a parent of a child that's going to camp or is at camp right now, thank you. Thank you for your trust in us uh, caring and, and leading and shepherding your child with it. And also, if you're a family member of someone who is volunteering at camp or will be volunteering at camp, thanks for your support and thanks for the sacrifice you're making. I also just want to say a big thank you to Andrew Bondurant and our youth ministry team, as well as some key volunteers. They have been holding down the fort since November as we are looking still for a new youth director. And I want to just ask you to join us in prayer for God to bring us the right person at the right time. And my prayers have been as soon as possible. So if you could just join us in that prayer, we have a great team of elder staff and volunteers leading that search. And uh, we're just continuing to pray that God would bring us that right person. Last thing I want to say is just a big thank you to Jeremy Locke, who the last two weeks closed out our Pray Like Jesus series. He did a great job teaching. I wanted to let you know that when I was hired two years ago, the elders and I decided that it would be healthy to have a multiple voice teaching team. It wouldn't just be Phil that you have to hear from every week. And so I'm grateful, I'm privileged to serve some very, with some very talented and competent teachers. And I hope that you continue to see all of us grow and, and grow stronger as we commit communicate God's word. I'm really uh, excited about my teammates and the opportunity they have to join me in teaching God's word. In fact, I'd just like to pray to begin our time together. Would you join me now? God, thanks for being a great father. We worship you because you are of your unconditional love for us. We worship you that you are engaged, that you are patient, that you are wise, 
that you uh, continue to provide everything that we need. We trust you, God. We thank you for not just being God, but being our father and being our friend. And God, I wanna thank you for all of those who are at Camp Ileana today and over the next two weeks. God, I wanna ask that you put a hedge of protection around every camper and every adult leader. God, I wanna ask you, you would move powerfully in the hearts of the kids and youth who will be there. God, I pray that they would learn how to live in love like your son, Jesus, in very powerful ways. God, thank you for those who are sacrificing time and energy to help lead that camp. Thanks for my teammates who are there leading as well. God, thanks for what you're doing here at Crossroads. God, we ask that you would bring us a new youth director as soon as possible, Lord, the right person at just the right time. And God, right now, I also wanna pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who worship at Living Word Christian Church here in Newburgh, God. I wanna ask that you would bless them as a congregation, God. I wanna pray that you would bless Mike Claypool and his wife and children. God, I wanna ask that you would be with my friend Fritz Kaufman, who's the children's pastor at Living Word. And also, God, I'm grateful that one of our own from here at Crossroads, Christopher Mitchell, is now the youth pastor at Living Word. God, I pray that you would bless all that ministry team and the work that they're doing. God, I pray that Living Word would just be a beacon of light and hope located right there at 261 in the Lord Expressway. God, I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around them. God, I pray specifically for Chris's family, his mom and dad who worship with us often and God, have been going through some crazy health stuff this past week. Would you strengthen them? God, teach us from your word. Show us your faithfulness. Help us to respond with obedience, God, we pray through the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Well, as I said earlier today, we're kicking off a brand new teaching series and we've entitled this series, People of a Faithful God. And it's a character study, but maybe not like your traditional character study. We're not focusing so much on the people that we'll be learning about from God's word, but really about the character of God, specifically his faithfulness. Throughout the course of history, God's people have always been called to live counter-cultural to be faithful to God no matter what the world around them looks like, what, what the world chooses to believe or how they choose to behave. And in the Bible, we read about people like Abraham and Esther, Nehemiah, Daniel, even Ruth, Elijah, people who have lived out faithfulness in very difficult times. And while this faithfulness demonstrates commitment and resolve, even courage, it's an even more testimony of God's faithfulness who continues to guide and strengthen and empower his people to live lives that please him. By learning from their life stories, we should be inspired, but also equipped to be faithful to God no matter what. As we walk through what the Bible records about each of these men and women and their lives, we wanna to continue to see God's character, specifically his faithfulness, and we wanna to choose to respond to his faithfulness in a way that honors him and carries out his purposes. And the first person we're going to begin learning about God's faithfulness from today is Abraham. Maybe it's appropriate to start with Abraham since it's Father's Day and Abraham is considered the father of the faith. In fact, he is kind of seen as the father of the three most prominent faiths even in our world today, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Abraham, as a father figure, kind of reminds me of my dad and some memories I have with him all the way back to church camp when I was little. One of the things my dad was known for at church camp was singing ridiculous songs. And one of the songs that he was known for is that song, Father Abraham. Now, I'm not going to give you a rendition of that today. Just Google it. You'll find all the hand motions. You can entertain yourself all afternoon with that. But 
Abraham is known and probably the second most famous person in the Bible, save only to Jesus, right? We find Abraham mentioned 300 times throughout scripture, and he's in 11 of the 27 New Testament books. But we read the most about the life of Abraham from the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. I'd encourage you to pull out a copy of the Bible and turn there with me. Put your finger in Genesis 12. That's where we're going to start in just a moment. While the first 10 chapters of Genesis record literally hundreds of years of history from the first day of creation all the way up to Abraham's birth, the next 13 chapters cover just about 100 years and they're all focused on the life of Abraham. In Genesis 11, we see the ancestry of Abraham. We discover his lineage goes all the way back to Shem, who was one of the three sons of Noah. And if I did my math correct, he was still alive when Abraham was born. Abraham, when he was born, was referred to as Abram. Abram's father was Terah, and he had two brothers, Nahor and Haran. Haran died and left his only son, Lot, to be cared for by the rest of the family. And Abraham was married to Sarai, who is recorded as unable to have children. Genesis 12 opens with the call that God gave to Abraham. But I'd never noticed the past tense that God uses in Genesis 12, verse one. He says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. It seems that this instruction to Abraham from the Lord, along with his father and brother, came while Abram and his family were still living in Ur of the Chaldeans. Terah had decided to move his family to the Canaan land, but he kind of settled in Haran and stayed there. Now, both these towns are somewhat unfamiliar to us, Ur and Haran. They were civilized towns, but they were filled with idolatry. And it seems like God is calling Abraham out to be dedicated to him. You see, the sin and corruption that filled the world prior to the flood where God destroyed the world except Noah and his family, it rears its ugly head immediately following the flood. While the flood destroyed the entire world, it didn't destroy the human capacity for sin. In fact, that's a commentary on the human condition. While we're made in God's image, while we've been asked to obey God, it comes down to God giving us free will and us making the choice for God to rule and reign in our lives. And when we don't make that choice, sin runs rampant. God's call on Abraham was to create a covenant with people who would live in a relationship with him and become a blessing to the rest of the world. Look at the rest of this call to Abraham. It says from God, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is speaking his plan to Abram, but not just to Abraham, to all of us. Abraham was not just a recipient, he was also to be a conduit. God was creating a path for people to know him and to experience his faithfulness. Did you notice all the promises that God makes of himself in that call? This all happened when Abraham was about 75 years old. How did Abraham respond to God's call to leave? He went. Look here at Genesis 12 verses four through eight. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 
He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and set out from the land of Canaan to the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From the very beginning, we see how Abraham responded to God in obedience. He left what he knew, the people who loved him the most, to go to somewhere that he had never been simply because God told him to. He placed his faith and his trust in the character of God and found him faithful. God speaks and Abram obeys. God appears and Abram worships. He trusts God's faithfulness to lead him. He took God at his word. And God's word to Abram was, you're gonna be a daddy. You're gonna be a father. In chapter 15, God establishes this promise with Abraham in a vision. He tells Abram, go out and look at the stars in the sky at night and your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now remember, Abram had not fathered one child yet. And yet verse six of chapter 12 makes a powerful statement about Abram. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. We'll talk about the ramifications of this just a little later, but take that statement as a powerful description of Abram's response to God. Now, God continued to affirm and confirm this promise to Abram, but Abram wasn't perfect and allowed some doubts to come in. And his wife, Sarai, well, she wasn't very helpful in the process either. She concocted a plan that she would offer Abram to sleep with her maidservant, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah suggested like, take my maidservant and that's how we can start a family. And the reality is it worked. Abraham took this idea from Sarai, he slept with Hagar and they produced a son. Now in the midst of that, it all kind of turned upside down. Hagar and, and Sarai started a little dispute and, and Hagar runs away. God goes and chases her and says, go back. And so she does. And when she comes back, she eventually gives birth to a son and they name him Ishmael. Ishmael was not the intended offspring. And yet many have chosen to align themselves with his lineage. That's actually where the faith of Islam finds its roots. Over the years, God appeared to Abram many times to confirm the covenant and promises he made. In fact, he speaks to Abram and says, your name is no longer gonna be Abram, it's gonna be Abraham because you are going to be the father of many nations. Many kings will come from you. Your wife is no longer to be known as Sarai. She's going to be known as Sarah because she's going to be the mother of many nations. And Abraham scratching his head is like, um, how is this all going to happen? If it's not Ishmael, where is it going to come from? Well, God's faithfulness does not always follow our timetable nor our desired path. God's faithfulness can be trusted even when we don't know where we're going. What will happen when we get there or how things will play out? Today actually is the anniversary of this two year mark of me being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. Two, oh, well, thank you, well, thank you, I appreciate that. Two years ago on Father's Day, I gave the first sermon as lead pastor. And I remember thinking like, 
how is this all gonna work out? God, what are you thinking? Why would you entrust something like this to me? I had no idea like how you as a congregation would receive a, a new lead pastor. I didn't know how the staff would adjust to my leadership or to my influence in their life. And I didn't see a worldwide pandemic coming either. That's some fine print for you, right? I mean, navigating through that over the past year has had its ups and downs, its twists and turns. But I can say in front of you, as God is my witness, I'm never more confident that this is what God was asking me to do. And to be obedient to him is not so much a commentation on me, but really, again, on God's faithfulness and who he is. It's not till 100 years old that Abraham gets to actually see this promise from God play out. Let's read about it in Genesis 21. Look at the birth of Isaac recorded there. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God proved himself faithful to Abraham and to Sarah. He did exactly what he said he would do. And there were certainly times where Abraham's faith wobbled over the years, but he kept trusting in God's faithfulness. And Abraham's faith is celebrated in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. Look what it says about Abraham's faith in verse eight. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because she considered him, meaning God, faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, come descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham wasn't perfect, but I really think he is a picture of the definition that the Hebrew writer speaks of faith when he says in Hebrews 1.1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith is a trust in who God is and what he says, a belief in the promises of God and the obedience to follow through and obey no matter what. Now we haven't seen anything yet when it comes to Abraham's trust in God's faithfulness as well as his obedience as a response. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, which records one of the more significant moments in the life of Abraham. Genesis 22 begins sometime later. All the commentators that I read this past week indicate that that sometime later was when Isaac was 33 years old. He was a grown man at this time. It's different than the flannel graph picture you might see of Abraham holding a little boy's hand walking up a mountain. Sometime later. It says that Abraham was tested by God. 
Now, when you read those words tested by God, that might seem unfair to you. And you might think like, did Abraham really deserve to be tested by God? Well, it's not the first time that we see God allowing testing in a person's life. Job was a person that we can read about in the Old Testament, that God allowed things to happen in his life to test his faith, to allow his faith to be mature, to be perseverant, to be strong. We see Jesus testing one of his disciples, Philip, when he was trying to feed 5,000 people. He asked Philip how to do it, to test his faith. James 1, verses 2 through 4 reads, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. God asked Abraham to possibly do the unthinkable. Look at verse two. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Human sacrifice was common in the ancient world as a form of worship, but it was outlawed later by the Old Testament law. And when God says to Abraham, go sacrifice your son, I don't think Abraham had a clear picture of why any more than it would sound crazy to you and I today to have God ask us to do something similar. Even though I'm confident Abraham didn't know the why God was asking him to do this, his response speaks of his confidence and his trust in God's faithfulness. Let's continue reading in verse three. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham not only went, He got up early to get a start. He made the preparations to do exactly what God had told him to do. And when Isaac, who again, at this point is a grown man, questions his father, like, what will we sacrifice when we get there? Abram's response was, God will provide. Abraham trusted God. I think Isaac trusted God as well. I wonder how many times Isaac had heard his birth story. That story about, you know, son, we wanted a child for so long. We waited a hundred years for God to be faithful to the promise. I was a hundred years old when you were born. Your mommy was 90 years old and God was faithful. He'll always be faithful. I love the, the confidence and the trust that Abraham displays in God's faithfulness by his obedience. And he indicated that trust and that that confidence when he made the comment to the servants, you stay here, we are going to go and worship and then we will come back. It had been a long time for Abraham to trust God's faithfulness. Yesterday, our country had a new holiday. 
It's Juneteenth. And I'll admit that a year ago, if you said Juneteenth to me, I would have no idea what you're talking about. But now I understand that Juneteenth represents a significant moment in our country's history. It's the moment where slaves were officially free. Slavery was abolished by President Lincoln when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. But it was three long years after that point that slavery was actually finished with. And it's now been 156 years since our country has, has turned the page in our history. And I think yesterday's Juneteenth is not so much a political statement to me. It's a, it's a statement about how God feels about all people. I think it's an indicator of just how far we've come as a country, but it also is an indicator of how much far we have to go. And I stand here before you just to let you know that Juneteenth for me represents a moment where I declare once again that I want to love every person the way that God loves them. I wanna be loved by every person the way that God loves me. And that's our commitment as a church. When we say that we live and love like Jesus, it's to love every person we lock eyes with. I stand with my black brothers and sisters to say like, I'm sorry for the history of our country, but I'm grateful for where God is leading us as a church. And I'm grateful and hopeful for better days. Because Abraham trusted God's faithfulness, he obeyed by building an altar, by binding Isaac, by laying the boy on the wood and by raising the knife. And it was in that moment where Abraham heard a voice that said, whoa, whoa, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Can you imagine the relief of Abraham? Can you imagine the relief of Isaac? I think they both were relieved in that moment, right? And God said this, now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That phrase, fear God, just means that there's a recognition of God's faithfulness and character and a commitment to follow through by obedience. Let's see what happens after that moment in the rest of Genesis 22. In verse 13, it reads, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Wow. I think people didn't see the providing of a lamb in that moment, but they also didn't recognize that that offspring that God was talking about was his own son, Jesus, who would bless all people, all nations through him. The question I keep coming back to over and over as I read through Abraham's story was this, what would prompt Abraham to respond to God's faithfulness with such obedience? And the question I had to ask myself is, would I be that obedient, even to the point of raising the knife over the only son I have? Well, Hebrews speaks of Abraham's faith one more time when he says this, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Did you see the key to Abraham's response in obedience? Is that he embraced and reasoned God's faithfulness. Other translations of this verse say that he figured, he was sure, he knew God could, which just simply means he trusted God and worshiped him as faithful. In fact, he declares, Jehovah Jireh, my God is provider. He even names the mountain, the mountain on the mountain of the Lord, God will provide. (coughs) God is faithful. He's been faithful to his promises. (coughs) Even when Abraham couldn't see it, even when Abraham wasn't sure what would happen, even when Abraham didn't like what was happening, even when he couldn't understand it. The question I think we need to answer today is this. Is there somewhere, is there something, or is there someone in your life that as an act of obedience, you need to surrender to God and find him faithful. The same God that was present with Abraham is present and active in our lives today as well. We were created by God with a purpose. Oh, you're a good friend. Thanks, my man. Yeah, thank you for sure. Oh, that's gonna be nice. Thank you. Sorry about that. What was I saying? Yeah. Uh, we were created for a purpose. God has plans to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. God's made promises to us. Like he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will provide your every need. I will work for your good in every situation. I'll hear you when you pray. I'll give you wisdom when you need it. That, that's just to name a few. The question is, do you believe him or not? Do you trust his promises? If he takes longer than you think, if things don't work out the way that you had planned, when what God asks of you seems like misunderstanding or, or maybe just too difficult to accomplish, do you trust him? Is God asking something of you today and asking you to trust his faithfulness as you obey? Is he asking you to leave your job and maybe a comfortable spot where you find yourself so that you can obey his prompting to what he has next for you? Is God asking you to end a relationship that's of your choosing so that you can obey his instructions and follow his instructions in that relationship? Maybe is God asking you to sacrifice some of your time to befriend that coworker who everybody else at the office thinks is annoying? or to mow your neighbor's yard who's on vacation, or maybe to reach out to that single mom who's at home with her kids again this summer after a really long COVID season. Is God asking you to obey him by seeking forgiveness from somebody that you know you've done wrong? Is God asking you to obey him by remaining pure in your relationships, even in the face of temptation? Romans 4.11 says, Abraham is the father of all who believe. And this belief is a recognition of who God is, 
that he is faithful. And it's a trust that leads to obedience because faith leads to obedience. I think the test of Abraham and him sacrificing his only son is paralleled with another father who was asked to offer his son. And that's God himself. Historians have noted that that mountain range of Moriah is actually where Jerusalem was built, where the temple was constructed. And it's actually the site of another famous mountain, the mountain of Calvary or Golgotha. It's a literal fact that the mountain of Moriah where Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac is the same place where God offered his son, Jesus. There are several parallels between Isaac and Jesus. Both were born of a promise and through miraculous circumstances. Both were loved by their fathers. Many times in Genesis, it referred to Isaac as the son Abraham loved. And God said, this is my son, Jesus, whom I love. Both were close to the same age at the moment where their fathers had to choose to sacrifice them. Both carried wood to the top of a mountain where they would be sacrificed. Both willingly submitted to their father. Both asked questions of their father. Where's the lamb? Why have you forsaken me? And both were brought back from the dead. Isaac figuratively, but Jesus physically. The big difference is that God, the father, sacrificed his only son, Jesus, to prove his faithfulness to us. Paul says in Romans 8, 32, who, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is faithful. He's so faithful. He sacrificed his only son to meet our greatest need, the need of a savior. And our response to God's faithfulness is obedience, completely trusting God as we obey him. God created each of us with a purpose. He's blessed us with the mission to be a blessing to others. And by prompting you through the teaching of his word, through the Holy Spirit, through him leading you in prayer, he will require obedience from us as we respond to his faithfulness. Even when we don't know where he's leading, even when we don't know what it'll look like when we get there, what it might look like when we do and what he might ask of us along the way. One last thing that Hebrews says about Abraham refers to us. Look at what it says from the message translation. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it up all the way, putting his own reputation on the line. He said, I promise that I'll bless you with everything I have. Bless and bless and bless. Abraham stuck it out and got everything that had been promised to him. When people make promises, they guarantee them by appeal to some authority above them so that if there's any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back them up. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because he can't, his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grasp the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unshakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus running on ahead of us has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. The life of Abraham teaches us that because God is faithful, we can obey 
even when what God is asking us conflicts with what we understand or prefer. We offer our best to God. We hold nothing back and we trust God to provide our every need as we obey him and follow through. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for your word that shows us ordinary people who seem to have done extraordinary things, but it's not because of them, it's because of you. Abraham's only shot of being obedient was because of your faithfulness. He took you at face value. He believed every word you said to him. He trusted your plan, even when it didn't make sense, even when it was contrary to what he would choose. He followed you. He trusted you. He obeyed you. And God, he serves as a great example of what it looks like to have a relationship with a faithful God. And so God, I pray for all of us that we would learn today who you are. We would see your faithfulness in tangible ways in our life. And that would breed trust in us as well as obedience, God. That trust would not just be something we sing about on a Sunday morning, but it would take place in every aspect of our life and take root as we live every day, every moment in complete surrender and in complete obedience to you. God, would you continue to do a mighty work in each of our lives? That the way that we live and the way that we love God would be characteristic of who you are. You be reflected in the way that we live in love, God. That would bring you glory. That would bring you honor. People would be drawn to you because you are faithful to us and faithful to them. I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.